square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome, friends, to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Steve Fielder here with you. I got that rogue partner of mine from down in the state of Virginia. Well, actually, up in the state of Virginia, Keston Jesse is in the house. How about it, Keston? <laughs> How you doing, Steve? I'm doing good, buddy. I'm doing good. Hey, what you been up to, brother? Been mowing grass all day long. Mowed about 20 yards today. Done some work with the puppies. Went and bought a gun. Done all kinds of stuff today. Oh, man, you have been busy. Have been busy. Did you have to sneak that gun in past Kiara? Or did she? Well, she, she doesn't know she about still, it yet, probably. She still you. don't know it's in the house. No. <laughs> no. Come hey, in the downstairs door. You know, that's what we guys do, don't we? Well, you know, the women do the same thing to us. You know, Miss Ella will come out in a, in a new outfit or something, and I said, well, that looks really nice. When did you get that? Oh, I've had this old thing. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. The only difference is she's better at hiding it than I am. It takes me longer to catch on it. That's her couple days that she figures it out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't know what the good Lord's going to think about all this deception that we couples go through, <laughs> you know, with each other. I think somehow he'll understand <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that this thing called marriage is a tedious process. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's right. That's right. And you are a family man. You have three children and a beautiful wife, so uh, you know all about that stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I got to come up in your country here lately and uh, had a good time. Wish we'd have got to spend more time together. Uh, you know, the old saying is the path to Hades is paved with good intentions. And I had every intention to come up there and go hunting with you on this trip. But uh, I'll give the listeners just a little bit of background there about my travels there. Uh, I've been back home here now uh, recording this on a Monday. Uh, last Thursday, I came home. The week before, the Thursday before, I jumped on a plane here in the Tampa St. Pete area. Uh, actually, St. Pete Clearwater Airport. And do you fly much, Keston? I've been in a plane maybe two or three times my whole life, and it was opposite what you done i flew from here to florida i had some family in florida we used to go down there and visit a lot yeah yeah well with my work over the years and uh without giving listeners my life history but just real briefly first time i flew was in 1967 i boarded an eastern airlines jet in tampa florida i was going to college down here and my grandmother passed away in Tennessee, and I flew up to Nashville. That was my very first experience flying. And, of course, over the years, then Uncle Sam took me across the Pacific Pond. Uh, I think I made four. Well, actually, I made a trip over, and then I had to come back on an emergency leave and back over, and then the final time was when I got discharged. And then I got involved in a sales job that kind of flew me all over the country. And then, of course, going to the registries 
I was fortunate on those long trips, like down to the Texas State Championship and events like that. I, you know, I would fly. So I've done a lot of flying. But, man, the crazy thing right now is how cheap you can fly. You know, I couldn't believe it, man. I flew from Tampa St. or from St. Pete Clearwater to Tri Cities. That's Bristol, Kingsport, Johnson City, which that's probably what a thirty-minute drive from your house. Yeah, about thirty, thirty-five minutes. Yeah, and uh, the, the trip up—I don't know why they divided it that way—but the trip up was ninety bucks. And uh, here's something for you veterans out there to remember, and I keep forgetting this. If you're a veteran, your checked bags are free. You know, it's it's not like it used to be. <laughs> that first trip I took back in 1967, man, they had flight attendants that waited on you hand and foot. They brought you a meal to your seat. I'm talking about, you know, meat and potatoes and vegetables. <laughs> and dessert and all that. Well, you don't get that anymore. Anybody that's flown lately knows. I I was laughing with Ella. Coming back, I bought a little package of M&Ms and a Diet Coke. Uh, You have to buy everything. They don't provide you any any snacks or treats. And it was uh, $7 and something. For <laughs> but back in that day, it was all included in your ticket. But now, what happens is they charge you for your bags. You get maybe a personal item. So the way I usually pack is I have a backpack, and I put my podcasting gear in that and any little personal things that I need, and then I'll check in a bag. But but on a Legion airline, if you are a veteran, your bag, your check bag is free. Uh, but, of course, I had already paid for it when I bought the ticket online. But anyway, I was able to fly up there for 90 bucks and back home for 50 bucks. And then, of course, I had the rental car fees, you know, which – you can rent a car, you know, for a week, and it's unlimited mileage and all that. It's crazy flying now, man. I mean, you just walk through. You got your boarding pass on your phone, so you pre-check in before you ever leave the house. And if I didn't have a bag to check, I could have just walked right to security and go through there and... uh and Allegiant, man, they put me on priority status. I guess I'm so old they figure, well, he can't cause any trouble. <laughs> He's too old. <laughs> but anyway, well, they kind of just let you go right on through. You, They do check your bag and, and your laptop and stuff. Well, from the time you, you lifted off there to the time you landed, how long did it take you to get from Florida to here? About an hour and 30 to 40 minutes. That's a lot better than a drive, ain't it? Isn't it? You know, I drive often or or have over the years, especially when my mother was living. I'd drive up to my brother's in Tazewell, Virginia, there in the southwest part of the state, 15 hours. Man, that's crazy. And my brother would laugh. He'd say, man, I can't do that. I can't drive that much. And I said, well, all you got to do is get behind a wheel. When you need gas, you 
pull over. And when you need to go potty, you pull over. And other than that, you just drive. <laughs> he <laughs> laughed, laughs at me. But, I'm, uh, hey, I'm getting so I don't enjoy that uh, much. But podcasts uh, have helped traveling, you know, on the way back. Uh, last Thursday, I listened to a podcast. Uh, coming back, you know, and the flight was was pretty much over by the time the podcast was done. So, kind of digging all that. But uh, tell you a funny story about the first time I flew was going to Florida. I probably wasn't <clears throat> six or seven years old, I guess. But I actually locked myself in the bathroom, and they had to come get me out. <laughs> well, you well, no, I won't go there. This is a family <laughs> show. I sure did. But, I ain't kidding. Oh my goodness! You locked yourself in the back. I did. I shut the door and the door locked, and I wasn't tall enough to reach the knob to get back out. <laughs> well, I can honestly say I've never done that. Yeah, but I'd uh, say not many people have. <laughs> did they have to use the jaws of life or something to get you out? Of I can't remember. I was so young. I just remember I was terrified. You know. I, oh yeah. I, and no, I didn't think anybody knew where I was at, and I was in the back of an airplane in the bathroom. Well, you know that's kind of, had to be kind of a little uh, uh, scary experience for a young kid. The sound of those jet engines and and all that movement First time ever and being everything. In a plane too. Yeah. I, I can remember as a kid, my mother taking my brother and me to Detroit to visit my dad's sister. There's Mickey on my watch. I touched the screen on my <laughs> Apple Watch again. He kind of makes his appearance every once in a while. But our deal was uh, to take the train, you know. In fact, I'm not even sure at that point we even had an airport in my town. But I can remember being on those train cars and going from one to the other while the train was moving, and you kind of had to step outside, although they had uh, it had these uh, curtains-like on either side. But you could look down, you know, and see the, 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 the tie, railroad ties underneath, you know, the train moving. That was kind of scary for a kid, you know. But Oh, I'd say. Times have changed. I guess a kid that rode on the first stagecoach, <laughs> he was probably <laughs> afraid too, wasn't he? <laughs> I'd say so. And now, I've never been on the train. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. It's kind of a step back in time. You know, Ella and I talk yeah. about maybe taking a train ride somewhere, uh, maybe <laughs> an Amtrak or something, you know, and go, uh, go on a trip like that. But uh Traveling this time, day and time sure is a lot different than it used to be. That's for sure. I could probably write a book just about the travels I had on the UKC motorhomes over the years and all the crazy things that happened when we were doing that. But, uh, well, all right. But, hey, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your uh, uh, hunting territory up there a little bit. Uh, no, before I do that, I want to jump into one thing. I was having some trouble with my uh, recorder here recently, and uh, I thought it was the recorder, and I think I made a remark uh, on one of my podcasts that I thought this brand of recorder that I'm using was a piece of junk, <laughs> which I'm I'm prone to do when something doesn't work the way I think it should. 
But I found out, uh, or at least I'm pretty sure my problem has not been with uh, the recorder, but with the SD card that I'm using. And uh, uh, some of my recordings, I think, uh, or podcast listeners will remember hearing a, a skip occasionally uh, where it looks like something is, you know, missing in there. Or And I was having... At the first of the recordings, it seemed like my words were kind of stacking on top of each other, and then it would time out on me and all, and I was quite frustrated. And uh, I changed out to a different brand of SD card, and it seems like, at least for now, that solved that problem. And I thought you'd be a good guy to talk to about that because you have a lot of trail cameras. Uh, with your deer hunting, don't you? Yeah, and uh, all the SD cards, I don't know much about it, but like it, your normal cameras that ain't cell phone cameras or nothing like that, about any of the SD cards working it. But I know a lot of times that, like uh, Tacticam, for instance, they they want you to use a card. It's U3 is the class. And uh, if you don't use that card, a lot of times it'll still take the pictures, but it won't send it to your cell phone. So you'll miss a lot of pictures. So the memory card makes a big difference. Well, that's interesting. I'm holding a, the one, the card that I was having difficulty with was a SanDisk brand. And I'm going to look at it right here. And what it says here. It's a 130 MB, I guess that's megabytes, I don't know, slash S. And then it's got a V10, and there's a, the number 10 in a little circle. But it's a 32 gigabyte card. It's called yeah. the SanDisk Ultra Plus. Now, this is the one that I had the problems with. Have you used that uh, brand before? I have, but the one I get, I believe it's called the uh, SanDisk Extreme Extreme Pro is what I use. And if you'll okay. look, it'll have like a U and it'll have a number inside that U. There's a one, a two, and a three. I always get the three. Okay, well, I'll look for that in the future. I think the I may I, I can't look at the one uh, that I bought because it's in the recorder that we're using right now, but uh, I think it's called a PNB brand. Are you familiar with that brand? No, I ain't never heard of that brand. It's P. I think that's it. But at any rate, for right now, it's doing the job. So anyway, if I if I uh, dissed the PodTrack P4. Uh, by Zoom recorder, <laughs> for for now anyway, I'm gonna take it back. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna walk back what I what I said about it. But uh, and, and without getting into a whole session here, I use a portable recorder. It's a four track recorder because when you do these podcasts, they want each voice to be on a separate track. Therefore, if I, uh, our producer, Colby Moorhead, has to uh, uh, raise your voice, for instance, uh, he can do so without um, adjusting mine or vice versa. So they want them on separate tracks. And 
So just recently, uh, the episode that's airing this week as we're recording this one, I recorded with Bill Scheninger and, and Alex Recker. Uh, it uh, was, uh, you know, I, I recorded three tracks at one time. So I have the capability of going up to four. So that's uh, that's probably about all the tech we need. But but so you have several. Let's talk a little, just a little bit about your trail cams. Uh, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I like the Tacticam. Uh, I've got several of the Tacticam Reveal X Pro is what it's called, and I really like them. I I, I run quite a bit of them during deer season. Uh, I don't know. I probably got fifteen or twenty. I use and I don't have many problems out of them. And there's another, I won't say the name of it, but there's another one <coughs> that uh, I've had a few of. I've bought two or three just to try them. They're a little cheaper. Uh, cell phone camera, a lot of people use them and have good luck, but I've just not had no luck out of them. Well, they, I know uh, in some of the states, uh, <laughs> issues are coming up about whether you can or cannot use trail cams whether you can actually use them in the taking of game or whether they're only to be used in, you know, scouting and those kinds of things. And so I don't want to get into all that because I don't know where I, what the, the, the uh, you know, what all the, the specs or the regs are, I, I should say. But we've learned in, the, in, in uh, hunting of all kinds that the trail cams can be useful. And they've probably kept a lot of guys honest as far as trespassing, you know, um, because one never knows when that flash might go off and say, smile, you're on candid camera, you know. <laughs> so, That's true, yeah. The yeah. old older guys like me will remember that TV show where <laughs> they would hide a camera and, and surprise somebody with it, but... Uh, and some of them cameras, no, I mean some of them cameras, five and six hundred dollars. Uh, but at my my experience, you know, if if you're looking to spend two hundred dollars or less, Tacticam is. I, I've had about all of them, and Tacticam's the one I've had the yeah. best luck. Where do you pick those up? Uh, most time I order them. I order them off Bass Pro. Walmart has them sometimes, but they don't last long. With Walmart. Yeah. Okay, there. You heard it on the Gone to the Dogs podcast. That's our consumer feature for the day by Mr. Keston Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) Keston, you kind of, we did get together this last week, although we did not get to go hunting. And that's probably been my my fault. Uh, I'll kind of recap for listeners the trip that I took. I flew up to Tri-Cities Airport there in, near Kingsport, Tennessee, and drove. I just had a short drive over to Greenville, Tennessee, where the American Plot Association holds their annual Breed Days event. It's a, a three-day event, I think, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh I was there for all three days this year, and something I haven't done in several years. And uh, thanks to my friend Bill Scheniger, who had rented an Airbnb there, a cabin about 10 miles away from the event, and invited uh, Mark Miller and, and myself and Mark's friend Steve Poor 
up to uh, to stay with us, and uh, his friend Brad uh, Hyatt also stayed one night. We had a great time. It was a nice cabin, really nice setting out in the country, good place for the dogs and all, and just, as I said, just a short drive back and forth from the grounds. Now, the weather was a little bit cool up there, as you know, uh, that would have been um, a, a week ago from when we're bar- podcasting right now. But uh, anyway, um, we uh, we had a good time, you know, with the events, and we mentioned some of that stuff last uh, week uh, with the uh, interview with Bill and with uh, Alex uh, Recker. But anyway, so uh, after the three days of the event was over, uh, I headed up to my brother's up at uh, Tassel, Virginia, which is, oh, what, 40 miles from you? Is that roughly how far it is from Lebanon to Tassel? Yeah, it, it might not even be that far, but roundabout, yeah. Yeah. So I got to stop over, and uh, you took me out and showed me around some of the the territory that you hunt and I, I found it pretty interesting uh, you've got a lot of hunting uh, but it's uh, not as far away from civilization as I thought there's quite a few houses quite a few roads and so forth what describe a little bit uh, what kind of territory you got there Cass it's just sort of, well, one end of town is straight up and down mountains. Another end of town sort of rolling farmland. And uh, <clears throat> you can get in the mountains and turn a dog loose, and they could go for days through there and not cross a house or a road. But typically, I don't I don't hunt that kind of stuff. It's just too rough, too rocky, too steep. I hunt more of the, the farmland. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of roads cut through it and, there's houses about everywhere. I mean, you you got to watch where your dog goes. And uh, well, it's might, mainly cattle country, isn't it? <clears throat> that's all it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. you might have a you might have forty or fifty acres of woods and a creek running through it, and you come out on the other side of that, and there might be a subdivision. And uh, well, so you we really got to watch your dog. You got to know, you know, you sort of got to know how the land ways to hunt it. And you I got gotcha. to know where you can send them and where you can't. And for the most part, you hunt on foot, don't you? Yeah, I could ride a four-wheeler, and I've got access to them. I could ride a four-wheeler side by side about everywhere I hunt. But I just I, I enjoy walking. I just I walk hunt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know, as, as I looked that country over, it's a lot of little hills and valleys. You know, not straight up and down. I'm, I'm talking about the farm country. You know, it, there's an old joke about, uh, you know, the cows on those Virginia hills. they got two legs that are, are shorter than the other so they can go around those mountains. <laughs> but some of those pastures, you know, if you're used to, you know, it's not Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> it's, it's hillsides that have been cleared uh, for pasture land. And uh, your family has been traditionally in the cattle business for several years, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I come from a 
big farm, big farm and family. That's what most of them do. Uh, got quite a bit of land, and that's that's pretty much what I hunt. I'm blessed to have places to hunt. Well, you certainly yeah. are, and uh, you most know, people around here don't. People around here are sort of picky. Uh, it's sort of hard to get places to hunt around here. A lot of people won't let you hunt, but I've been pretty fortunate to have a lot of good hunting. Well, they say blood's thicker than water, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are blessed, buddy. You sure are. And, of course, listeners should know, you know, by now that you and I partner on a dog. We part have partnered on a couple. The way we met initially was I had been on a trip up to Pennsylvania and picked up a puppy for you up there and brought it since I was up there anyway. And, uh, well, we'd made contact, and, and that's the Clyde dog that you're hunting now. And we're going to talk about our dogs here in just a minute. But, uh, uh, yeah, but that country mainly, what do the coons feed on up there? Or that, uh, <clears throat> well, during the wintertime, well, during the fall, you know, acres, stuff like that. And then during the wintertime, a lot of it, it's hard to find coons in the wintertime, but when you find them, you find them in pockets on the farmland. I mean, you might have one guy over here with cows, and he don't feed nothing but hay all year, and then you might have the neighboring place, and they're feeding grain and silage all year. Well, you know, you're going to find your coons wherever the silage is at. And uh, so throughout the winter, that's basically what I do. I, I hunt the people's places that's feeding silage. Yeah. And, uh, and these creeks, every holler around here, um, about it has a creek running down it and you know they oh, you know yeah. they turn rocks over and crawdads and then during the spring the frogs just all that stuff well if you're a novice hunter and just getting started in coon hunting one of the things you need to know is where the coons feeding at different times of the year and one thing that you can always count on is to find coons around water yeah right you agree yeah yeah, yeah. Whether it might be those little little meandering creeks that cut through the through the pasture fields, or it might be a, a you know even as much as if you hunt the mountains, you know you hunt those those uh, that pocket water, those tumbling creeks that come down off those mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. Those and that's when it really gets to be fun. You're in those mountain laurel thickets. Uh, uh, that uh, that border those creeks and but anyway, uh, you know my, in, my favorite time of year to hunt the mountain is when the the acorns are dropping and uh, and wild cherry season when the wild cherries are in. Yeah, that was always my dad's favorite time to coon hunt. Was a, for us there in in West Virginia, which I think is going to be pretty much like what you have although you're a little farther south than we were, is uh, actually south and west of us. But uh, those wild cherries were predominantly uh, ripe in late August and September. Is that the way it is there for you? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's about the way it is. And when they, when they come in, I mean, you gotta you got to really pay attention. When they come in, they go quick between the coons and the birds and everything. Yeah, and typically in that country, farming country and all, you're going to have those wild cherries in fence rows, aren't you? Yeah, fence rows. I got this one spot that just comes to mind when you say that. 
and it's in the mountain. It's pretty rough hunting, but there's a fence line, and it's probably, I don't know, a half a mile long, and it ain't nothing but wild cherries. It's a straight fence line, and I always trail a lot of coons there. Yeah. Well, you know, in these podcasts, and I want to, we want to get into that too about the different podcasts that are out there and the ones that we listen to. But you hear a lot about the winning and about who got what for a score and which dog's doing this and that. But I don't hear very much out there about the fundamentals of coon hunting, about, you know, uh, the act of finding where coons are. And uh, that's so important to me, especially if you're a pleasure hunter. I think the object to getting uh, leaving the easy chair and going out in the dark, uh, whether it's the heat of summer and swatting mosquitoes or or the uh, uh, cold of winter, is you want to tree raccoons. And uh, knowing where they are, man, that's half the battle. Unless you got a dog like Clyde, that that year uh, year and a half old. Walker dog, you got. He's gonna go find one wherever it is. I believe. Yeah, but if you turn him loose in the wrong spot, you're gonna be walking a long way to him. So I, I try to, I try to put him on coons that way. He don't put me on coons. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you turn him loose in a, a dry spot, he's gonna find one somewhere. And nine times out of ten, it's somewhere you don't want to walk to. Yeah, there's a slogan that they have it. Up on the screen at my church every Sunday morning, he says that it says that this church is not a church you go to; it's a church you go from. And of course, the idea is that you go out from the church and take what you learned, and you know, spread it around the country, so around your neighborhood and so forth with your friends and family. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what you're saying with Clyde. You know, it's. It, it's either go to him or, or, or you, do you get the connection I'm trying to make there? I mean, oh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, one way or the other, you're either going to go to him or you're going to put him in a place where he's kind of going to have to stay where you are. And, yeah. And at my age, I can promise you I want him to stay where I am. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I try to set him up, you know, to where I don't know. He – Clyde's not really the type of dog that uh, would really that really thrives around here. He ain't got the nose. I would like to have a dog with a little more nose. He he ain't got no real good nose. He uh, if he trees it, it's hot. He's about looking at it, and uh, so a lot of times he passes a lot of coons up to find one he can tree if you know what I'm saying. So uh, he sort of blows through there. So I always try to set him up to where I don't think he's going to go far before he hits something. Well, you know, I, I that's an uh, that's a, a subject for discussion. Do these dogs actually not smell these coons, or do they have the ability to, I'll use the, a big old 50-cent word here, discern the condition of that track to know, you know, it's just a high percentage or low percentage track, and can he actually smell this one and say, well, you know, I just really don't want to fool with that. I want to I want to look at that coon because that long-legged guy's going to be through here after a while, and he's got that stick that goes bang, and he's going to give me that coon. 
So maybe I'll just pass that one up and I'll go on, you know, and get one that's a lot easier. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about Clyde, and this is a good segue, I think, into we were going to talk about our dogs a little bit. In a podcast that I, I did form, formerly, listeners seemed to kind of enjoy it when we talked about our dogs. And it's not to brag about them for sure, because we certainly will tell the good, bad, and the ugly. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Clyde just a little bit, his age. how is he about a year and a half now? Yeah, something like that. I believe he's about a year and a half. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and the, he, he trees a lot of coons. I mean, you turn him loose, he's going to be treating, he's going to have his coon. And, I mean, tree three or four night. And that's, I mean, that's really good around here where I live. Well, the, the the thing about him is, it's got it's got to be the right coon, and he's going to go till he finds the right coon. He ain't going to find a track and beat it out. Yeah, he's not much in, when it comes to mopping and waxing. He's, yeah, like he, he turn you, you turn him loose around here with a dog that has a good nose and knows how to use it. They're going to treat coons behind him, but I'm going to say he's going to treat just as many. You know, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, because he's going to cover so much ground. And I believe from watching him the way he hunts, he knows where to find a coon. But I think he kind of likes to stay on the water, doesn't he? He'll hit a creek bank, and he won't come off that creek bank to his tree. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to credit him with that, of knowing that coons and water go together, the way we yeah. said before. And that's something he's learned. He certainly had a lot of learning opportunities. I know when I brought that puppy back from Pennsylvania and met you that day there uh, on a parking lot and you took him home, uh, that's when, uh, you know, we started talking quite often on the phone. And you had that pup out there just about every night just by himself. And we've talked about that on other podcasts, but... Yeah, he's been to the woods a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he has. Well, Keston, um, you sent me a text at pretty pretty much at the end of your coon season. And you told me I think that you had tree or seen sixty some coons with him and only what what was do you remember those numbers? Yeah, uh, I can look right here. I got it in the notes on my phone because I kept up with it all. Well, if you have a cell phone, and who doesn't these days, you have the capability right there on your phone to take notes and to keep notes. I used to carry a little tablet with me in my pocket years ago. But all right, what do you got there on Clyde's scorecard for this past season? All right. Uh, from October 15th, he made 75 trees, had two dens, and he missed six. So he, he total trees that he made that I seen a coon in was 67. And the best he ever done in a row was 21. 21 in a row. That's pretty good for a year and a half old hound. And so. and that's and that's not hunting all night, every night. That's hunting five or six nights a week and treeing one and coming home, maybe treeing two and coming home. Yeah, yeah. Well, when a man works and has a family, <laughs> you have to do something besides coon hunt. 
except for yeah. those out there that are fortunate enough to to hunt for a living. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, coon dogs were pretty much my living all those years, but I wasn't out there hunting for somebody. That's for sure. Well, you know that's uh, that's what we have with Clyde, a dog that, and I say we. I don't own a hair on him. He's yours one hundred percent. But uh, what uh, you the, have the best way? What I was saying earlier, and I'm gonna say it again. A word it a little different. The best way that I can describe him is if you had a dog with a good nose and you turned him loose, you know, side by side gave him an hour and you could get to him i'm gonna say he's gonna treat just as many coons you're just gonna do more walking than you would around here with a dog with a good nose i got you i got you absolutely he just goes a little farther to get it done sometimes right right you are uh well you know and and you alluded to this uh fact that a dog might tree some coons behind him you know, yeah. um, and there's certainly those, especially in my age group, that enjoy a dog that, as we say, that takes a track the way they he comes to it. And whether it's hot or cold, he's going to try his best to finish that particular track. And uh, so Clyde's not that kind of dog. No, uh, he, a, a lot of times he, he, he won't, if he don't think he can finish it, he ain't starting it. And then, I mean, there's an occasion he'll start one that he can't finish or he'll sit there and stand on his head on it until I get aggravated with him and make him go on. But for the most part, you know, he don't mess with nothing he can't finish. Yeah, for sure. Well, and there again, you know, I always try to, to like my dad was with me, always turn everything into a teaching moment. For those that are listening and may not uh uh, you know, have been uh, hunting as long as we have. Uh, you know, there are different types of dogs out there. So if you're living in an area, maybe your uh, hunting territory is limited as to size. You may be like uh, Bill Schenninger spoke of last episode about, uh, you know, having uh, mile or, or uh, mile sections with paved roads all the way around, you might want to consider a closer hunter, a dog that, you know, will hunt a woods out and pretty much and maybe check back with you. Now, that may not be what's popular, uh, and that may not be what's winning the biggest checks in the sport of competitive coon hunting, but there is a level that you can play. That's the great thing about this sport. There's levels for everyone. Okay, and you find a club, you'll know pretty soon if you go out on a cast or two, you'll find out what their hunting territory is like, the type of dogs you're going to be competing with and so forth. So it requires a little research, a little time, um, but uh, uh, these dogs do come in different styles. Again, you know, I think there's two ways, and probably the best way is find an older cooner that's maybe uh, heading toward the end of its career, but it's a solid dog, a coon treer, is always the best place to start. And then you can get a good-blooded pup and put it along with that dog and let that dog teach him some things. Of course, uh, 
Clyde is a is a self taught uh, coon dog. He he didn't have the help of another dog because you never really hunted him with another dog. Probably what five percent of the time he's been hunting in his entire life. I'm gonna say uh, he'd seen another dog maybe twice before he treated his first coon by himself, and then from the time he treated his first coon by himself, I'd say. He didn't see another dog. I'd say he treated close to 100 coons before he seen another dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've talked about Clyde before. I call him the coon hunting vending machine because you put your money in when you cut him loose, and he's there's going to be candy's going to drop <laughs> somewhere. Gonna drop. Somewhere. It's hard to tell where, but it's going to drop. <laughs> That's for sure. And again, we'll talk about a little fancy. We've got this uh, Davis Rosedale Frogger, who is uh, probably one of the most famous uh, uh, stud dogs out there in the country right now. He's just red hot. And uh, uh, Randy Smith, again, we'll mention Randy. He He's bred uh, three or four times to him now. And uh, we got um, a puppy out of Randy's Jillian female who was out of uh, Bone Collector and uh, his world champion Sue female. And uh, fancy, she's uh, she's come along. She's made a lot of progress here lately, hasn't she? Yeah, she, uh, how old is she, six months old? Yeah, she's six months old now. And uh, I've had her out a lot. She goes about every night I go. And, uh big difference from day one to now i mean she goes hunting uh she'll split off from clyde she's got to where she's running her own track she just ain't figured the tree and park quite out yet but uh i believe she'll be just fine yeah i think from the ear reports and you know what i see out of her uh she's been steadily progressing and i like that in a dog i like a dog that you know uh goes along at a steady clip and gets a little better seemingly each time that you take them. Sometimes the ones that just, man, come right out of the gate and they just look like world beaters and then they kind of get a setback or they don't get any better. But she's definitely progressing along. One of the things that we've learned about her, I believe, is that She's going to be a nice track dog, isn't she? Yeah, I believe she's got. I believe she'll have the note. I believe she'll be more the type of dog that uh, I would want to hunt. Like, I, she's going to have more of her nose. Yeah, she's definitely. She's definitely going to be more of a track dog. Well, I think you told me the other night there was a track that uh, Clyde was having a little trouble with. Yeah, and, and didn't yeah. she come on through on that? Yeah, that was a track. He got in there. It was late. Uh, I don't know what time it was. It was after 12 o'clock. And it was a bad track. And uh, he got in there and he, I don't know, he's having trouble just getting it started. And I was just watching on the Garmin. And uh, she came in there to him. And she had it lined out in just a few seconds. And then they both took it on. But that goes back to what I was talking about, Clyde. I mean, he just ain't got the notes. And sometimes he, he'll find a bad track and he'll, he'll want to beat around on it a little bit. And I had to move him on. But she lined it right out, and uh, they ended up treeing it. Yeah, so there she is at six months old. She's contributing already, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
I think you got to look for the victories instead of concentrating on the problems. You know, with puppies, I think mistakes that a lot of guys make is they go out right out now. I got to start training on this pup. You know, I got to start. Uh, she's got some flaws, and I got to start fixing stuff. I think that's a big mistake with a puppy. I can't overemphasize that. Let the pup be a pup. Let the pup learn, okay? The first time my dad's, we were out on a coon hunt, and we were going into the woods on on an old dirt road, and he pulled over and he said, come over here and slide under the wheel. I'm going to let you drive. Well, you know, I was all I could do to keep it between the ditches, you know, and I had too much uh, foot on the on the on the gas and too quick on the brake and all those kind of things. But it didn't take me long to figure it out, and that's the kind of thing. I know that's a probably oversimplification there, but that's the kind of thing is with these pups, you know, let them figure it out. Let uh, don't be right away, you know. You call the puppy doesn't come. You got that e collar. You you shock him, uh, uh, hoping to make him come. And then the next time you take him out and you turn it loose and it wants to fool around, so you're gonna shock it this time to make it go. So which does shock mean, come or go? <laughs> you know the dog doesn't know. And the old adage, we got to be smarter than the dog. So, you know, I don't want to get on the soapbox here tonight. Uh, if I do, I have to pl- pass the offering plate. And that's <laughs> kind of hard to do unless you all want my email address, and I do take PayPal. But, <laughs> but anyway, you know, we uh, we we really need to think about that, you know. And, and there we go with Miss Fancy. Now, she would always go hunting, wouldn't she, pretty much from since, the start? Since day one, yeah, she'll, she'll go. She ain't got no problems going. But but since she started getting off away from quiet on her own, you know, you can tell just, just by watching the garment, you can tell the difference in the way they hunt, the way they move. Quiet, he's more finds a creek, and it's a straight line on that creek. or He runs edges a lot. Her, she more, more or less, she'll go in there and – she might go up on this ridge and come back down and go up on this next ridge, and she sort of hunts around you versus just straight through her. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that is uh, all part of being a, a good hound. I think is knowing where to go, and knowing where to hunt. Uh, you know, I and I know that with these. Uh, I call them souped-up competition hunts that we have nowadays. These dogs do a lot of running the edges and and that sort of thing and trying to get under that hot one, you know. And then the the ideal dog in that regard, as my buddy Randy Smith says, is the dog that gets in that country deep like that and gets treed, and then when you recut him, he knows that there's more of them in there. So he's almost hunting new ground, you know, away from the other dogs. And those are the kind that really hurt you in a competition hunt, you know. But there's a lot of guys like me that like to pull up my boots and head up that creek and turn that dog loose and let her uh, sink in the dark in there 
and hear her open up there in the head of that hollow and work that track up out of that creek and up on the side of the ridge, maybe up on, on where it's feeding in acorns up on top, maybe just came down to the water for a drink and whatever, work that track on out and then get it moving a little better here, barks increases as she moves it, and then hear that locate, man, and that sit down, and then that's when you start jumping up and down and clapping your hands. <laughs> if you're yeah. an old guy like me. Yeah. And that's and that's that's another thing going back to Clyde. Just like the other night I showed you. Uh if he's in coons, he, he won't blow through him, you know, as long as long as you know, he hit a hot track, he'll stay put, he'll stay in that area. But no, if there ain't nothing there, he's gone. And just like the other night, uh, he run a track, done a real nice job, got treed, had the cone. I went in there and paid him up and pulled him off of it and just re-cut him five foot off the tree. And uh, he went back down the hill there and struck right where he struck that other one. And I thought, what is he doing? He's going to run this same track up here and treat it. And he run that track and he came right back up there, went right on past the tree that had the cone in it that he had just treed and didn't go 40 or 50 yards right above it treat again and I thought this dog has went crazy and went up and he had another I mean struck in the same spot treat two different cones yeah well he knew uh, and and if we could only crawl inside that dog's head you know and and think like a dog thinks but they do know we all know dogs are smart anybody has been around a dog knows that they're an intelligent animal that you can teach them things and that they can figure things out. And some breeds and some individuals within the breeds are smarter than others. I learned this when I was in the registry business and started going to obedience trials and watched these dogs do an incredible job of going through all these obedience uh, exercises and I learned that some breeds are just exceptionally good at that. Dogs like Border Collies, for instance, are scary smart. The little, uh, uh, you know, the little what I call miniature uh, Collies, <laughs> you know, the little, uh, yeah. what are they called? Oh, man, my, my mind's going away. I know what you're the, talking about. The little, uh, well, I wanted to say Australian Shepherds, but that's, that's what right. I was thinking. Yeah. Well, they are, too. Any of the herding breeds are very smart. And I learned from these trainers and these teachers, dogs like Golden Retrievers are very, very smart and very trainable, but they're not problem solvers like Border Collies are. You don't yeah. throw them curves, you know. <laughs> yeah. This one trainer told me one time about this golden retriever, and he was going jumping over one of these jumps on an agility course or a obedience course, and he jumped up there, and he, and he balanced himself right on top of that cross beam. <laughs> and yeah. he's looking around like, uh-oh, what do I, what do I do now? How do I get here and what do I do now? You know, so. Uh, and but, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something else, too. I thought I was going to have problems out of it. I shot, I shot, Clyde's had his first shotgun shot out to him uh, when he started. And uh, I thought I might have some trouble out of him going back to trees. And 
when I quit shooting them out to him. And I've never had him go back to a tree. I can walk. The dog can be treed. I can walk up to him. I can pet him up. I can tell him it's dead. Let's go. And he'll go off at tree and not turn and look at I mean, just gone. Just, I just got to talk to him. You ain't got to snap a lead on him. Just tell him dead. Go on. And he's gone. Well, it finally came back around. It was a Shetland sheepdog that I was trying to describe. The little Shelties, they call them. That looked like a miniature collie. <laughs> That's the way it is with me. It'll come back around sooner or later. But yeah, there you go, uh, Keston, exactly, you know, and. Uh, uh, that's another thing. I think Clyde, uh, do you think, uh, you know, you and I talked about, of course, your coon season was in, so you, it was totally legal for you to give him a coon, but do you think it helped or hindered him when you stopped uh, or cut back on the number of coons you were giving him? I think it, uh, I think it helped him, but like I said in another podcast, Seems like if you don't shoot coons out to him, he just he just gets crazier and crazier. And I ain't talking about crazier making mistakes. I'm just talking about getting deep crazy. Like he just goes harder. I mean, he gets gone. I mean, gone, gone. He wants to find one. Yeah, he just wound up. Yeah, yeah. And if you shoot one out to him, it sort of calms him down and he slows down a little bit and takes his time a little more and he don't pass as many up. Yeah. I I feel like. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because sometimes it's the opposite effect. You know, too many goons get them wound up too too tight, and then they're better off when you back off. So there again, you know, it's not one size fit, fits all. It's uh, uh, each dog is an individual, and I think the good trainers, the good hounds people, are those that figure that out and get on the same wavelength with that dog. Yeah, and as far as he goes, I don't think he cares if if you shoot the coon out or not. A lot of times, you shoot a coon out if it's alive. He, you know, most dogs would, you know, go straight in there on it, grab it. You know, alive or dead, they're gonna chew on it. And uh, not him if it's alive, dead, whatever. A lot of times, he'll walk up to it, just sort of smell of it, turn around and go. I mean, he's back to the woods. I mean, he he don't. He don't much care for a coon as far as fighting one or chewing on one. Yeah, well, there again. You see a lot of dogs Mm -hmm. that fight to get the coon away from the dog. That's just not him. Right. Well, I should have had my partner Mark Miller on uh, with us tonight. Mark's probably in the woods. I know he's getting fever ready. Hopefully he's ready by now for the Tournament of Champions because – the uh, TOC regional hunts will be happening. Uh, this is Monday, and they'll be happening on Friday of this week. And uh, it'll be history. The dogs have to uh, get one. I think there's 12 spots maybe available in the zone that w- or the region that we're in, which we'll be hunting in uh, uh, Comer, Georgia. I think that's region six, if I'm not mistaken. So next podcast, I'll be able to give you some news about uh, how that went. But, uh, Mark, uh, I've said this about the fever dog, and and the listeners know that I partner with Mark on this plot. And uh, 
fever 17 months old now. Uh, in about uh, two weeks, he'll be uh, 18 months. And uh, he had a big weekend with the events at APA uh, Plot Days where he won the train contest for Bear and Coon. He won the water race for Champion Dogs. He won the water race for the overall or the uh, open water race. And he won a heat in the uh, uh, in the line uh, for a field trial. But this dog, uh, I totally, well, there's two things that I give credit to. One is his bloodline. He's obviously from a good line of dogs on both sides of his pedigree that just seemed to click when those two lines were put together. Actually, it's much more than just two lines. The horse dog that I had, uh, he had a, a good-looking pedigree. I think there was only one dog on there uh, that wasn't a Grand Knight champion, and that was his mother, and she was a three-way champion, night, field, and water. But uh, And Bill's dog certainly has some strong coon dogs back of him, the Lazarus dog that he's out of. So the breeding, number one, always. And then Mark has been a guy that's allowed this pup to pretty much be what he is or what he wants to be. And when I say that, I, I don't advocate guys out there just letting a dog do anything if they've got if they're running deer they're going to get killed eventually they need to be discouraged from that uh if they're rough with other dogs uh, they need to be discouraged from that if uh, they're running back tracks and doing all these kinds of things many of which are really not uh, things that you can correct some dogs you can and others you can't. But Fever hasn't been any of those things. He hasn't been trashy. He hasn't been ill at all with other dogs. He has, you know, but he's been a dog that wants, has a lot of desire. He's like Clyde when it comes to that hunting. He wants to go hunting and he likes to be by himself. And Mark and I were discussing the other day about his chances at the TOC being such a young dog. And he says, well, his best chances, and I probably am, am disclosing here our strategy <laughs> a little bit, but we will have no control over that. We won't have any control over where he hunts or what kind of terrain he hunts there in Georgia. But thinner coon are going to be uh, better for him, where he has to get out on his own and find a coon, and he's good at that, and he's kind of like Clyde in that regard, and uh, I, you know, so maybe maybe they're a lot alike, but I don't think he's quite as hard going in terms of hunting as Clyde, but he's certainly hard enough, and I'm glad that Mark's hunting him there and those hills and mountains of North Carolina instead of me. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but he's, he's done real well, and I will kind of brag on him. You know, he's finished his night champion, his show champion, his water race champion. He just finished his HTX, which is a suffix that the dogs get in the hunt test where they go out with just a judge and hunt for an hour 
half the tree coon, half to open on the ground on the tree, and all. And so he got those three passes in a row, I believe. I could be wrong on that. So the only thing he needs to be a four-way champion now is his uh, his field trial. But uh, he's been a lot of fun, you know, and, and really, especially for me, to be able to sit on the sidelines and watch him. But the most fun that he is to me is watching him in a water race. Man, I tell you, I, <laughs> at the APA breed days, they had a, a – a, Platform and if I if I mentioned this in my last podcast, I apologize. But he's not used to starting off of a deck, so to speak. And he came out of that when they popped open the gate. He ran out there on that porch and looked around. Some man, what's going on here? And by then, the two dogs had gotten. I'm going to say they were twenty yards ahead of him or close to it. And he says, oh, okay, I guess it's go time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just kicked in the afterburner. And, you know, Keston, I don't know if you saw that tape, but I think that dog sizes up his competition. I mean, <laughs> right away he went like a, a rocket till he caught those other dogs. And then he just seemed like to get right in the gate into the – to to the harness with them, you know, and he was swimming right along about what – their speed and then he goes okay i guess i better get this thing done and he just kicks in the afterburner <laughs> and I, there he goes uh yeah i've seen the video and i don't know much about the water racing stuff i've never done it but it was pretty impressive the way he come out of that gate and sit there on that deck and them dogs got a head start like that and he just passed them like he's sitting still and once he got in front of him it's like he just paced himself to stay in front of him yeah, and then when at the end there, when he got come out of the water, he was out of the water on the tree, and the other dogs hadn't come into the camera frame yet, you know, into the <laughs> video. So I, think, I don't know what, but you know, the thing about it is he doesn't bark much uh, when he's swimming, and he swims real low in the water, and that's what a dog has got to do to be powerful to be a swimmer is to keep just keep his nose out of the water. You know, and and dig deep. You know, and use those legs and stuff. So, anyway, that's all I'm going to do. Uh, all the bragging I'm going to do on that dog. Dog, but we've had a lot of fun with him, and I know you're having fun with the Walker dogs, and kind of gives me the best of both worlds. My friend Randy Smith last night, he, uh, as he tends to do from time to time, he says, "Hey, you want to go tr- on a coon hunt?" And I said, "Yeah." So he FaceTimed and and he was hunting a couple a couple of dogs there. One he calls Little Fran, which is a half sister of your Clyde dog, out of the Fran dog that Randy had, and uh, and then uh, uh, the Bertha female that's out of his Sue female that Troy, uh, Troy his son hunts. So I got to go on to I think I went to three trees last night and didn't leave the couch. You know, so, that's pretty good. You can't ask for no more than that. Well, and you do the same thing for me, you know, and I appreciate that a lot. I really do. Well, let's see here. Um, I wanted to mention real quick, and we've done 30, 40. We've, you know, we've gotten past that hour. We're heading toward an hour and a half here. And I know you're probably, are you going to the woods tonight? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going tonight. Okay, well, yeah. we don't want to keep you up. It's about uh, 8.15 here in the eastern part, eastern time zone. Uh, I did want to take the opportunity to welcome a new podcaster that's burst on the scene, Bryce Matthews from Indiana. Bryce, uh, I, I met Bryce uh, when he was doing some video work uh, for Nick Gilliland, and uh, we kind of brought uh, Bryce up to do a uh, Freedom Hunters uh event that I did with Houndsman XP there in Virginia with Heath Hyatt and that gang. And Bryce did an excellent job of videoing that hunt for us. And uh, he's now has a podcast on the Houndsman XP network called Deep and Lonely. And his first guest was Dick Brothers. I didn't get to listen to the entire podcast, but I will finish it. So just want to welcome, uh, Bryce, uh, to the microphone, so to speak, and wishing me a lot of success with his new podcast. Uh, another guy that's kind of uh, been on the back burner a little bit, and his program is the Hound, uh, the Hunting Hound podcast on the DU Supply Network, the same network that I'm on here with Gone to the Dogs, and that's Bear Siragusa. Now, Bear is over in Norway, I believe it is, or Sweden. He'll forgive me. It's one of the two uh, now, and he has an interesting uh, uh, hound-related podcast, hunting uh, all kinds of different things with hounds called the Hunting Hound Podcast. And I hear that he is now uh, back on the air and, and ready to produce some more podcasts. So I want to welcome Bear back. Uh, I did also want to mention the Tournament of Champions. And uh, I think there were 800 and some dogs entered, I believe. If I read that correct, I know Trevor Wade at UKC had posted a number, and I meant to look that up before this podcast, but uh, for all of those that are, are going to the zones, this will be after the, fa after the fact. So when you're listening to this podcast, you will either have made it uh, to the finals or uh, you have not. I hope I am... Uh, that Mark Miller and Fever are in, uh, and I hope that your dog has done uh, the same and that we'll get to see each other out at Greencastle, Indiana. Uh, that will be, uh, let's see, I'll have to look at the calendar. Um, the TOC finals will be April 14th and 15th in Greencastle, Indiana, so... Best of luck to everybody out there. Um, speaking of podcasts, uh, Keston, do you have any favorites? Uh, well, <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. I mow yards all day, every day, so that's all I got to do is listen to podcasts. And I listen to everyone you do. Uh, Josh Michaelis, I listen to his. And uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but that's probably the only two as far as hunting dogs go. I see. So you, your podcast menu covers a lot of different. What other types of podcasts do you listen to, without maybe I, naming them, or maybe you can name them? Well, I listen to Clay Newcomb. I like his podcast, Bear Grease. Yeah, yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, there's several deer hunting podcasts I listen to. Uh, 
there's this one uh, whitetail habitat solutions i listen to it i listen to a lot of hunting podcasts but that's not as far as coon hunting goes you and josh michaelis is the one that i listen to well you know i'll be honest with you when podcasts first when we started the houndsman xp podcast i just had a vague idea of what a podcast was i knew it was a, a a talk show type thing and and all, but I didn't know any of the particulars about it. And Chris Powell got me involved in that, and we did that a while. And then, of course, I did the Nightlife Nation for a while. And uh, but I really don't. I think <laughs> to listen to podcasts religiously, you you have to have some kind of a. There's Mickey again. Uh, <laughs> I thought I said on one of the kids' toys that time. <laughs> <laughs> I jumped up once around. That's right. But, uh, you know, uh, you got to kind of have a job that allows you to do that, or you have to be in the vehicle a long, long time. I, you know, at home uh, with my wife, usually uh, if we sit down, we're watching a TV show of some kind together, uh, or, or we're just talking. You know, she's quick to remind me to put the devices away and let's just talk. And I think that's great advice for anybody that's in a relationship is try to spend as much time as you can doing that. But, uh, you know, when I'm traveling uh, the other day on the flight, you know, home from uh, Tennessee, I listened to a podcast. So they're great for that. And uh, thank goodness we got them. And I guess I'll continue to put one out each week as long as I can come up with something to say and as long as the people at DU Hunting Supply tell me that I've got a good listenership and, and they do tell me that uh, that we do have a lot of listeners for this podcast and I am very, very thankful for that. Uh, I wanted to close this out by you and me just talking a minute about what we like best in a hound. What what kind of hound? If we could just draw one up, and uh, and you know, uh, hunt that hound, what would it be? Do you have any thoughts on that, Kester? Yeah, if I, as far as looks go, if I could draw one, it'd be a long-legged blanket back Walker dog with a red head with no blaze face, no no white in the face whatsoever, solid red. Okay. All right. What about ability? I want one that takes its track as it comes to it, but not a dog that's going to stand on its head, you know. A dog that can work a track out and go with it. Get the coon treed. I want a dog that uh, don't blow blow out, uh, sort of hunts around you, but will blow, you know, we'll, we'll get deep if it has to, but that ain't the first thing on its mind. And uh, has its coons when I get there. And I like a big mouth. Well, that's a tall order, but I think that's, uh, you know, as a purist, as a coon hunter, and I have to say you are a coon hunter. You haven't really, and of course, Mark is always kidding you about not getting into the hunts, but we're going to, we're working on that a little bit. But uh, as a a guy that just coon hunts virtually every uh, good night and some bad nights, uh, I think uh, I could call you a, a purist or an authentic coon hunter. And, uh, you know, and I, I've always liked that too. You know, I like a dog, when I snap that leash, I want him to go hunting. 
I think that's job number one. Leave me. Get out of here. Go. Had a little dog named Pee Wee. <laughs> His name was Bear Pin Top Hand. And uh, he was just a, little, a good hand to have around. He was a small dog. Oh, about maybe make 50 pounds. Uh, colored like fever. Black back, brindle on his legs, and, and uh, a little more black on his head and had a frosty gray muzzle. When I ensnapped Pee-wee, he was going to go however far the woods was that I sent him toward. Typically in Michigan, you can send them across a a cutover cornfield or bean field, or maybe it's not covered, cut over, but uh, down a fence row. But there's a lot of opportunities to send a dog to the woods that's some distance away. He was a dog that would go hunting from the instant I snapped him, and before I could even imagine he was back there a quarter mile or more in that woods, he would be struck. And when I'd go to the tree and shine the tree, maybe find the coon, whatever I did there, pull him off that tree, he would go over and wet down a bush, it seemed like, for 10 minutes. He would <laughs> not stop to empty out before when I unsnapped him. His one single thought in this world was get in that woods and find a coon track. That's the kind of dog I like. And he had a good mouth, and he could work a track. He he was not cold-nosed by any means. And and the interesting thing about him was that he was a sit-down tree dog. He sat right at the base of the tree and laid his chin right up on the bark and looked straight up that tree and just barked, ow, 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 just like her heartbeat. That, if I could have another one just like Pee-wee, he was a great little dog, too. Minded really well, uh, had a head full of sense, and unfortunately died of kidney failure uh, when he was about nine years old. But uh, that would be my favorite right there. Yeah. Well, you said it right there when you was talking about him. If you can get a dog, and that's all its mind's on, if that's all it thinks about getting the coon tree you you'll have it well that's right and you know Wee, when i first took him to michigan or first brought him up there he liked those white tails a little bit but, you <laughs> know he was smart enough to know that he did not like that unpleasant feeling around yeah. his neck and yeah. he it didn't take him any time maybe i don't know maybe just one treatment uh, two at the most, and he was over that. Now, he did take a phase, and I don't know what happens to dogs sometimes, and I think uh, Alex Recker uh, touched on this last week a little bit with the Joe dog he was talking about who went through a possum phase. And with my hand up, as I used to say in the mountains where I grew up, I sent him down to Gene Hicks, in Sweetwater, Tennessee, Gene, the black and tan man, a dear friend, has had some of the best black and tan dogs in the country and still does from what I hear. He said, I can break your dog off a of possum, Steve. Just send him down here for me for a while. I do not know to this day what he did. 
to break peewee from possums. I, I didn't. He didn't volunteer, and I didn't ask. <laughs> but when peewee came back to Michigan, possums was not in his vocabulary. <laughs> so I, I don't about. know. I don't know what G did to him. Maybe he just had a good talking to him, but I doubt it. <laughs> But anyway, uh, that was that was one I think, and and I've been blessed. I had some good ones over the years that I really enjoyed hunting with. But Pee Wee was, and my brother hunted him quite a bit too, and he'd have lots of good stories about Pee Wee. Guy named Bob Evans up in uh, Ohio kept Pee Wee for a while and hunted him and showed him in some shows and so forth. So he was a little dog that just made you like him, and. Uh, so that I guess that's that's all I got to say about that. But you got anything else you want to add, Keston, before we uh, uh, turn the lights off and uh, and go hunting? Yeah, I'll say one more thing. I believe this is just my beliefs. A lot of a lot of the dogs, you know, it's bred into them. If you give them the opportunity, they're going they're going to tree cones. If you, I mean, that's what they're bred to do. If you give them a chance. I'm, I'm gonna say eight out of ten of them will wind up trading cones. And uh, the hardest part, if you can master, if there's one part I can master, if I can figure out how to do it, is if you can just just keep the dog from getting distracted. When you when you turn a dog loose in the woods, there's so many distractions for it. And if you can just get it to focus on cones, all the distractions away, everything else takes care of itself. Well spoken, my friend. Yeah, single-minded. If that single-minded yep. dog that at the snap goes looking for a raccoon, if we could just program them to do that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, coon hunting would be terrific, and it probably would be boring. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you turn a dog loose, there's all kinds of distractions. Oh, yeah. You got deer, you got possums. You might have something dead lying over here. You, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Well, that's exactly right, and I've said that about in training puppies. You know, I used to use a, a, a saying that say, take them out there in the daytime or at night, if that's the only time you have, until all the new goes away. Because when yep. you take a little puppy, that creek, that flowing water, that's new. That fence is new. That butterfly flying over there, that's new. That frog jumping there along in the water, that's new. Uh, all those scents, cattle, horses, um, you know, as you said, you know, something dead to roll in. <laughs> they yeah. seem to love to do that. Yeah. Um, it's gone. A friend of mine down here in Florida, he had a heck of a time with the dog wanting to roll in the cow piles, you know, cow patties, yeah. and all that sort of thing. It's all new, it's all interesting to them. So you got to get them through all that, let all that wear off, and then those genetics kick in because when they smell that coon, oh boy, yeah, this is a whole new level right here, you know. Way I look at it, turning the dog loose in the woods is like taking a kid to Walmart, pointing down the toy aisle, and telling him to walk down that toy aisle, but don't look at none of the toys. Yeah, just ignore everything. Go back there to where the where mommy buys those uh, uh, buttons and bows. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, cloth. it just ain't gonna happen. No, no, it is not. Very, very good observation, Keston. 
I'm looking forward to getting a video here after a while. You and Clyde and Fancy sitting under one of, of those Virginia Coons. I appreciate you coming on with me tonight, uh, buddy. And I think it's been a good a good time. I, I've enjoyed it a lot. So uh, uh, with that said, I want to thank my friends Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, my producer, Colby Moorhead, uh, all those that make this podcast possible. If you need anything in the line of hunting supplies, apparel, especially electronics and the service and advice and, that goes along with them, it's dusupply.com. Thanks to Keston Jesse for coming on with me tonight. Keston, if you're looking for me, buddy, I'll be gone to the dogs. Thank you.